This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and Luke Buxton. That means it is on the beat. We are live. If you're joining us currently on YouTube, on the Inside Carolina's channel on YouTube, ask some, ask some questions, submit questions, comments, whatever you want to do there. We'll get to them. For the rest of you listening to the podcast, make sure you sponsor or check out our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. Also, take a second to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, however you get your podcast, And also, subscribe on YouTube, because if you subscribe on YouTube, you know we're live right now, and you've got an opportunity to watch this show. Greg Barnes, I'll come to you first. Uh, Carolina is in another bye week due to COVID issues elsewhere this time. I don't – granted, we're not in Virginia, so I'm not hearing the uproar um, about Virginia Tech um, causing a cancellation, but – this puts Carolina in a bind a little bit, having these type midweek uh, COVID issue games. Where is North Carolina trying to cope with this, Greg, now that Virginia Tech's on a pause? Well, I think the, the frustration is the fact that North Carolina had a very good run. Um, if you remember back, they had the Elon game that was an issue, uh, but they were able to get the central game scheduled in its place. So they, they avoided a non-conference uh, problem there and then you get into you know, I guess it was late December but you get into ACC play and that first that first game against Syracuse uh, is is postponed but I think because the Orange Bowl was coming up and there's so much attention focused on football that people kind of dismissed that and then quickly thereafter Mike Bray really kind of set everything in motion for the Notre Dame game that had been scheduled for the end of January to take place on January 2nd um, because they, they, whoever they were playing had a uh, COVID issue as well. So it worked out. And so the, the one ACC game that UNC had at that point in time was quickly rescheduled. And then you had the Clemson game. Um, and I think people were like, well, you know what? A lot of teams have having, are having issues. Um, I mean, there was a, you know, Florida State, I think, that played – they've played, what, eight games now? Nine games maybe, which is, which is by far the, the fewest in the league. Uh, and so when you're comparing just the one game against Clemson, it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. There was hope that that game would be rescheduled. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get the Miami situation. And everybody's kind of up in arms about that and trying to figure out. And then you start looking and say, well, Clemson has a bye week remaining or an open date remaining. Miami has one remaining. So let's get on this. Let's knock this out and get these rescheduled. And then, of course, Friday – uh, Roy was adamant that, hey, we need to try to get these rescheduled. And if the ACC is not willing to do this, then we're going outside of conference and we're going to get some non-conference games scheduled. Because the way that the NCAA worded this back in the fall was th there was basically three options. You could play 25, 26, or 27 regular season games, 27 being the max. And that was if you were in a three-game uh, tournament. So with North Carolina playing in the Maui, because they played three games in a row, that, that qualified. And so North Carolina was allowed to play 27 games this season. Uh, with the ACC putting in 20 conference games, it kind of limited you to seven non-conference games. Uh, but with some of these ACC games looking like they're not going to happen, Roy was adamant on Friday that they should start looking into non-conference games to kind of fill these gaps. And then, of course, you get to Saturday, so 24 hours after those comments, right before the tip-off against Virginia, and the Virginia Tech games postponed. Um, and, I mean, we're, we're looking – we're four weeks away from Selection Sunday. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. 
And we can talk about the ACC tournament. I know a lot of people are saying, why don't you just cut short the ACC tournament, play some of these regular season games, which I don't think makes a lot of sense, but it is a talking point. So you're really talking about three weeks of regular season action left. And I think at this point, the ACC is looking, and I'm not going to defend the ACC, but there are a lot of challenges in play because you got so many teams that are missing games in North Carolina other than the Virginia Tech game. I mean, their schedule's booked. And so I think there's frustration, fair frustration on UNC's part that these games are not being rescheduled the way they need to be. Roy's okay with playing three or even four games a week. I don't think the ACC is okay with that just in terms of how they've acted with some of these situations. Uh, so there's friction there and there's frustration there. And so I think UNC is really trying desperately, clearly, uh, to get a game this week. Uh, and I think Gregory can fill us in a little bit on the latest, but as of right now, uh, there, there's nothing that, that uh, gives me indication there's going to be a game either Tuesday or, or Wednesday night. Let me uh, – looking at the schedule, Florida State's played nine ACC games, Carolina 12. Florida State and Louisville both have nine. I think Boston College, their way down the list, has ten. Uh, Florida State's played 14 total games. Carolina is at 19. Notre Dame's at 19 and Virginia's at 18. But, you know, it's crazy how it's working out. Um, and, and you're right, Carolina needs to play games. Uh, Gregory, what's the latest? I know Roy Williams' radio show was just before we started recording. Right. So Jones, Angel, um, so the way they've been doing the show, for those of you that might not know, previously was live at Top of the Hill. But now Jones will sit down with Roy, typically Monday, and they'll record it. Um, and they, he did the same thing with Roy, but he also did it with Clint Gwaltney. And Clint Gwaltney said, well, Jones was asked Clint, who is in charge of scheduling and whatnot, works with Roy, works with Bubba, but he's really the guy that it goes through. And he was like, UNC put out on social media, hey, we're looking for a game. We need an opponent. And Jones asked him what was the best offer they got off of that. And that was uh, – West Texas A&M, which is a Division II school, and Clint said he got a nice voicemail from a guy over there that was like, hey, we can be there on Wednesday uh, if needed. So people in the chats are saying that UNC got a game, though, as we're live right here. Do you guys – Greg, you hear anything? Here, let me let me go to my uh, email here, and let's see what, what news we have that could be breaking. Hey, Yay, look at that. How about that? In the inbox, live on the show. <laughs> Northeastern on February 17th. Oh, we got people in the chat breaking in to us. Northeastern is 9-7 and seven overall, second place in the Colonial Athletic Association. They're 8-2 in conference play. Uh, they've had four games postponed due to COVID protocols. So my question is, and – Lou, if you can chime in, I'll, I'll get you in on the mix too. Is you know, I don't. When did Greg? When did Boo Corrigan start as the ACC commissioner? Just out of curiosity, because it seems like Carolina hadn't caught a break <laughs> since John Swafford retired. Anyway, I digress, and that's for our NC State fans that may be tuning in to Looky Luke. Luke, uh, the importance of Carolina playing anybody, and now that Northeastern stepped up, I mean, these guys need to play games to stay in the rhythm, right? Yeah, when you look at the schedule, you know, UNC comes off a win versus Pitt in which you thought, okay, UNC is looking really good. Let's carry some momentum. And then they play Clemson a week later. So Pitt on January 26th, Clemson on February 2nd. And they look awful. And then Saturday rolls around. They have Duke. Great game. You say, okay, maybe Carolina's finally turning the page. And then Miami gets canceled. A week later, Virginia – so it's kind of funny when UNC has these breaks of a, a week or more, they look like they kind of, you know, lose all progress that they made. So it's, I think it's crucial to stay in the rhythm. I don't know if it's Carolina or you look across and it happens uh, to other teams who get, who get broken out of the rhythm and it's just a college basketball thing, but it looks like in not only, you know, having consistent games, but also home games, Carolina's six and oh in the, in the home games that they've gotten to play and they've only got to play six. Um, so playing another game in rhythm, before Louisville, and then especially one at home, I think is, is exactly what the Tarkins need. So I'm glad we got some breaking news on the show, and I'm, I'm sure Roy Williams is, is happy about that as well. 
I know Greg Barnes having to uh, break and cover goings on. That is Greg. That that's the ultimate 2020, 2021 COVID type pandemic coverage going on right now, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, and, and by the way, at some point after the season, Greg Barnes and I'll sit down. Um, I don't. It, maybe he. Maybe I'm breaking news to him. We're gonna have a podcast or one of these YouTubes and talk about covering sports during a pandemic and Gregory and Luke you guys can join as well and what might become of all this um, down the road when things get back to quote-unquote normal um, however however you want to think normal is one day soon hopefully Gregory I'll start this topic with you Jalen Johnson for Duke opts out Uh, Roy Williams was pretty adamant what he thought about opt-outs was it last week a couple weeks ago um, when they were talking about the ACC tournament, now Duke has lost their best player, um, even though he was certainly not playing that way. Um, your thoughts on the whole, uh, not necessarily Duke-specific, but players now opting out in the middle of the season? Well, his reason wasn't really even COVID-related. I think that's very important to point out. Um, he released a statement, him and Coach K, uh, Duke basketball officially released a statement after the news came out via sources uh, that Jalen Johnson was opting out. And you hear the words opt out nowadays, and it usually has to do with COVID, but his had to deal with just getting healthy with his lingering foot injury. Um, UNC, I believe, was the first game that he hadn't started in a while, and he hasn't started the last three games. His minutes have slowly declined. He's been dealing with that foot injury. I don't know the extent of what it is. I don't know if that has been released. But that's just kind of my thoughts. This wasn't a COVID-related issue. So this is almost comparable to what Cole Anthony could have done last year. And a lot of people have been bringing that up in social media and whatnot. Um, and not to be a Duke reporter or anything like that uh, as we cover UNC. But I think that's where people need to compare this. It isn't players opting out at the beginning of the season. It isn't um, – that corner for UVA who opted out at the beginning of the season because he didn't want to deal with COVID and he's going to be a top uh, draft pick. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, one of you guys might have it off the top of your head, but Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green. Uh, I don't remember what the Caleb Farley for yes, Caleb Farley. That's who I'm thinking okay. of. He opted out at the beginning and he was supposed to be their best defender, best player, and he opted out because of COVID. That's not what Jalen Johnson's doing. Um, so I think that's super interesting just because this isn't Virginia Tech opting out of the game on Tuesday because of COVID issues. Um, This is just him being like, look, my foot's bothering me. I want to get healthy and prepare for the NBA, and I'm leaving the team. So I don't really think it's fair to his team to be calling it opting out. I don't want to speak for them, but he's leaving the team. Um, And so my thoughts are, you mentioned Roy, his thoughts were COVID-related. I have no idea what his thoughts would be. Um, I'm sure last year if Cole Anthony had decided that he didn't want to come back from his torn meniscus, um, Roy would have been supportive of Cole to us. What he would have felt behind the scenes, I have no idea. But it's got to be a little different when your player wants to leave your team um, to focus on injuries rather than rehabbing with the team and still playing games to try to improve his uh, NBA draft stock. Luke, just talking about the Cole Anthony thing, and I don't want to rehash last season at all, but I mean – he could have easily done it. And Carolina, they were probably worse than Duke is this year. I don't think there's any probability to it. But, I mean, it's pretty similar these days. I think – and I just mentioned how it is covering seasons in this time frame. I think this might be something that we'll see um, you know, from here on with athletes. But, anyway, your thoughts on Johnson comparably to, to Cole to just in general across this college landscape at the moment? Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because as, as soon as I saw the Jalen Johnson news, my mind went directly to Cole Anthony last season. A guy gets injured halfway through the season. The team is about as worse as it can get in terms of Carolina basketball, bottom of the league, and he sticks with it. I think it's pretty um, admirable to, to go back and, and look at Cole and kind of his tenacity and grit and, and you know commitment to the team. I can't speak for Jalen Johnson. I don't know his how his foot feels. I don't know his mindset. But I do think it brings up an interesting point about what does the college basketball landscape look like right now. As soon as, you know, UNC had the opt-outs, it made me think of kind of what the slippery slope looks like. Okay, I get the bowl game. They're not planned for consequential games. But, you know, what's the motive if, you know, let's say 
X player has an incredible start to the season. We always throw Zion as an example, so I'll throw Zion as an example. Zion has a great season. He gets that injury. Why would he, besides, you know, a commitment to the team and that kind of morality that players might hold or responsibility they might feel, what is the upside of continuing to play? You know, in terms of that, if that is your goal to get to the NBA draft, besides a commitment to the team, there's really no upside to play in college basketball. So I think it brings a really interesting crossroads to where college basketball is right now and to like where, you know, opting out, is, is this going to be a thing of the future? I think Jalen Johnson's decision is pretty groundbreaking one. I don't think it's anything we've really heard of before. A player who in the midst of a season just decides to call it quits and, and opt out when there's not like much drama surrounding it. I remember Kyrie Irving did it when he got the injury like four games into his due career. But it's also another layer adding on top of it when Duke is struggling like this, then you're like, okay, is this like a struggling issue? Is it really injury? And it just brings up a lot of questions, not only for, you know, the brotherhood of what Duke likes to call themselves, but also um, for what kind of college basketball looks like in the future. I think it brings up a lot of interesting questions. Yeah. I think Luke's last point there is, is the one that's, that's most pressing because it, you know, this year is what it is, right? I mean, 2020 is, is going to be an asterisk. We knew that for football, certainly going to be the case for basketball. And I think it's going to be easy for people to say, hey, it's, it's COVID, you know, it's just a, a sucky year. You know, if the kid wants the bell, fine. But as, as Gregory said, I mean, no indication this is really COVID related. And I think it's more what Luke said is that how I much stink. of this, yeah they're not any good and they're not going to make the tournament most likely. So if your goal is to play in the NBA and this kind of gets back to the football discussion, right? If you're not going to play for the national championship and not have a chance, at what point do you say, you know what? I've done what I need to do for my team. I'm going to go ahead and do what I have to do for myself. Now I would imagine there's not many people listening to this who are going to say, well, Jalen quitting, with three weeks to go in the regular season is the time to do it, right? I mean, I, I don't think that's the case. It's one thing if injuries are that big of a deal and he can't play at a healthy level. That's totally understandable if you're pulling the plug. But I don't know that that's really how this was worded, at least to my understanding. Um, and so I, I, think, I think that's something looking forward is, okay, is this just an excuse that we're using in the time of COVID? Or is this a elite prospect who's used to going to a place that's always in contention for a top seed, realizing that the team's not going to be any good? And so he's just going to bail because the whole point of him playing was to check the box for one year, which he has to do as an NBA player or NBA prospect, and then trying to play for a national championship and all the media and all the press that comes along with that. So, uh, yeah, certainly an interesting situation. And if it was COVID-related and he didn't feel safe in playing during this time why would it be this late right i think it's kind of hard to understand how it could be an issue it, with covid and if you made it this far if yeah. it's injury as greg mentioned that's one thing but how could you make the covid argument when he's played you know more than half a season well my thing is and i don't want to judge a kid at all but if it's injury related why not say it due to an injury or you know is He's out for the year with a hurt foot or whatever it is. It makes and, no sense. Right. And Cole could have certainly have done that last year. Yep. And okay. nobody within reason would have said a word about it. And I mean, I, it's interesting. I think it's the slippery slope that we're in as far as college basketball. I mean, Wiseman from Memphis last year, what did he play? Two games. And then he got suspended or something for a handful of games. And then he just said, I'm out and left Penny Hardaway and Memphis hanging like that. I, you know, this yeah, is that, it's that, you're right. It's slippery slope because like that, in that situation, I was all on board being like, yeah, like, I mean, screw the NCAA, like uh, knowing the facts of that situation on the surface, it looked a little bit sketchy, but when you kind of got into it, not as much as maybe it sounded. Mm. So I could, I could understand him bailing. And if, if Jalen has a serious issue health-wise, then I can understand that as well. But it's just not being presented that way. And that could be the fault of the school or, or the, the kids, you know, posse, if you will, right? And, and not, not verbalizing that and sharing that properly. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the case.
Well, you see oh. stuff with uh, you see. I mean, Duke has always been the master of the PR game, at least yeah. in the last two and a half decades, and that appears to be slipping, you know, of late um, with that kind of stuff. Go ahead, Gregory. How different is this from a player on an average team opting out of bowl season in football? I think because we we talked about like top four teams, really, like that's the only really thing that matters. Right. And if Duke is not going to make the basketball of the college football playoff, how different is it? Here's the difference. Duke can win the ACC tournament and they can get in. There's always a chance in college basketball. Okay. If, I, if you're a competitor, Fair. there's always a chance. Maybe we turn around. Maybe we can somehow squeeze in the tournament, pull off series games and make an NCAA tournament. That's the spirit, like, as a competitor, I think we should possess. Is If Michael Carr and Javante, I think it's very different. They're not competing for any national championship at the end of the tournament. I, I, look, you, we can go and, you know, debate X's and O's and stuff, but I think when there's a chance, if Duke had saying, like, if you're making the NIT no matter what, then it's like, okay, maybe why am I playing with injured foot? But there's always a chance, and you got, you know, 14 guys wearing that Duke blue jersey who are fighting to try to make the same thing. I don't know. Why, why don't you? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and look, and, and we're not going to go back to Carter and Javante, but those guys could not have put a better resume out there against Miami. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I don't care what they do in the bowl game. They left their highest mark there. And, um, you know, for the record, Carolina won the national championship on uh, NCAA 14 revamped on my son's sim season this past season. So pour some salt in that wound with uh, Javante and Michael Carter playing fullback. Somehow got a kick out of that on Twitter. Uh, you know, it, like I said, I just think it's a slippery slope with college basketball. It, it needs to get back to guys going to the G League, doing whatever. Um, but, yeah, for, you know, a lot of Carolina fans look at it and see Duke and, and like it. I'm not – I don't necessarily like it simply for the ramifications for the rest of the schools, and, and that'll be interesting. Anybody got anything left on that topic before I take a break? All right, we're going to take a short break for the audio podcast version. I can talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. And if you listen to this live, we need you to support them. Go to johnnytshirt.com, support them on the web, order some gear. They'll bring it straight to your door. Um, or you can see them in, in person at Franklin Street when they get back open there. They are in need of your support. Um, pandemic may be easing, so they say, but it, it still, local businesses, locally owned and operated businesses need all the support you can give them. And of course, if you're a premium subscriber on this message board, you get 10% off on top of all the gear they have on sale. Anyway, baseball gear, all sports, uh, tennis gear. I mean, the tennis teams are double national champions indoor. You can't beat that. I mean, that's an impressive run that those teams are making. And also, you can get school gear, home gating gear, anything you need from Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Take another break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with On the Beat Inside Carolina podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, boys, we are on the beat. We're back after a short break from our national sponsors and johnnytshirt.com. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton with me. Gregory, I'm going to turn it over to you. Give us some questions off the live chat as we roll along here on, on the beat live. Uh, so a couple that have came up. Uh, one that I will, we can start with is Caleb Love draft stock. We've seen two great games out of him, 20 points against Wake Forest. Uh, 25 against Duke, and then 
We've seen a lot of not great games. Obviously, Virginia's defense is really good, but his shot was just not falling. So is Caleb Love, the good Caleb Love that we've seen, my question for you guys, is that just a matter of, you know, the shot's falling that day, but it's not going to be consistent, and he's going to be a three-, four-year guy at, at UNC if he can't figure out a consistent shot. Luke, I'll let you go first on that. I've got some ideas, and I want to bounce them off you, but go ahead, Luke. Yeah, you know, if you asked me at the game of the year, I would have said, what are you talking about? Or, what, what's what's even the thought behind that question? Um, now it's interesting. I think, like, I mean, just like Dayron has had some looks of being a pro draft stock, like, and he hasn't been, you know, a dominant force in the game. There's a lot of built on potential there. I think Caleb does provide you a lot of promising potential. Like, look at Cole. I mean, it's, it's obviously a different situation. I think Cole had less um, help from, from his team. But Cole wasn't, you know, a great college point guard. And now he's tearing it up for the Magic. So I think there is some interesting potential Caleb brings as a draft stock. You've seen him put together some really good games. I think, like, the college style of, you know, it's like a like – look at for the Virginia game of how they're able to pack it in and there's less one-on-one matchups, less free space to get your shot off. I think that really hurts point guards like Cole and Caleb. And I think Caleb's going to be a really interesting draft pick and a really good NBA prospect. I don't know if people will take the risk on him, but I do think he has a lot of potential in the same way I kind of saw Cole having a lot of potential and kind of how he's played out so far in his early NBA career. I think Cole, you see it, dribble step back. When a shot's going, he can make things happen. And I think the college game isn't great to him, and he could be a really good point guard for UNC if he did stay. But I wouldn't think it would be the craziest thing if a team in the second round or, or even maybe late first if you're bold enough wants to take a chance on him. Greg, what's your thoughts there? And here's my initial thought, and this is not a knock on Caleb Love. It may be a knock on the league. 6'4 uh, combo guards without a consistent shot. I mean – it's got to be a right fit, right? It's got to be the perfect fit, the perfect offense in the pro games for a guy like that to really have success. What am I missing here? Yeah, I do think there's a there's a big gap between is he a one and done kid and is he a four year player? Um, I think I think when you talk about the things that are uh, that Caleb brings to the table, he has great size. Um, he he has an aggressive mindset. He's not scared to shoot the ball. Um, Roy seems to think that because of his size and athleticism, he can be a really good defender. Um, and when he, there, there's the, the ability to score the ball at times. And I know everybody likes to kind of point to, to Duke game and Wake Forest game. Those aren't exactly teams that play really good defense. And those are teams that don't mind getting up and down the court. And when Caleb has had his success, it's when there's been a free flow to the games and he's been able to kind of attack the rim. That allows him to get into rhythm and then he's knocked down some shots. Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of those opportunities though. And so do I think Caleb is, is a true NBA draft pick this year? I do not. Can he develop enough over the offseason and next year to be a legitimate first-round kid next year? Sure. Um, and so I think there's a lot of growth for him. And I, I think his ceiling is pretty high, but he's, he's got to get a lot better. Um, and I found it interesting that it's been within the last couple of weeks that Roy's really harped on this idea. Well, he's never played point guard before. Um, I'm not sure that I've heard a whole lot of that prior to the last couple of weeks. And um, so he's, he's learning on the job. And let's be fair, all these kids that are freshmen have had a really hard time they didn't have the offseason that most of them have. Uh, they were cut short on preseason opportunities. They were cut short in non-conference games. So that's tough on all of them. You know, we were talking about Jalen Johnson earlier. Like, I mean, he didn't have the year he expected to have. Um, and you, then you look at you know, Suggs at, at Gonzaga. He stepped into a wonderful situation where he didn't have to do a whole lot because he had studs all around him. Um, and that's not been the case for Caleb. And that's not been the case for Jalen Johnson and a lot of these other guys. And so – I think there's a lot of room for growth, but I, I think he has to make those strides. Um, now, does that mean that he's staying in the school for sure? I mean, we've been through this before. All it takes is one team saying, you know what? We might take you in the first round. 
one team. That's all it is. And for some guys, that's been enough for them to roll the dice. Um, I don't know that he's at that point yet, but I, I certainly could see him make enough strides and become a more efficient scorer, become a better defender, become a better uh, facilitator of this offense in the half court, especially that he elevates his stock enough next year to be a legitimate first round kid and you know, maybe even a, a lottery pick. Watching his game, he kind of reminds me, and he's not the same shooter, but Shaman Williams was not good his freshman year, but he was molded into being a point guard or a lead guard. Um, and he ended up playing, you know, played four years at Carolina, but he also had a lengthy NBA career after not being good early. I think Caleb loves at six four or whatever he is, and you know he's got great size for a point guard. Um, for a wing guard in the NBA, he's I guess he's probably a little below average height wise. I could be wrong. Somebody will correct me. I'm sure, but um, you know I think he's a guy that needs to develop in college. Now he needs to be developed, and he needs to learn how to play the game. Um, but it's all about fit in the NBA. And that's why I think Cole Anthony, you could tell Cole Anthony could play. You could tell Cole Anthony was not in the right style offense at Carolina. Uh, I mean, but he's been groomed to be a point guard his entire life. And he was a ball dominant guard who wanted the offense to run through him, which to your point, Tommy, that's not the North Carolina way. Yep. So it was a little bit of an odd fit, but yeah, there was no question that the kid was a player from day one. I mean, the game he had against Notre Dame is one of the best point guard games I've seen from a UNC point guard in a long time. Yeah, and and if Carolina would have run PNR all year um, and Cole doesn't get hurt, he averages twenty plus and probably eight, seven or eight assists that year. And but they just it's just seven not or the eight way to rebounds do it. probably. Yeah, and we're talking about one of the best freshman year. And and to Sugg's point at Gonzaga. Sugg stepped into a situation similar to Kobe White did here. They're yep. both great players, um, but they didn't have to be great for their teams to be really good. And, and folks forget that about Kobe. Yes, he was a fantastic at times, but look at what he had around him. And Caleb Love and especially Cole Anthony had none of that going on. Anyway, what's up, Gregory? Well, it just – the question what Greg brought up about it only takes one team is I'm looking at their UNC's 2021 recruiting class. And there's only the two guys that have signed uh, Dontrez styles, more of a wing guy. And then um, DeMarco Dunn, more of a two guard. If Caleb does up and go, then, I mean, I guess RJ would be running the point, which he hasn't done a lot this year. So him and leaky, they need, like they need Caleb to stay because then it almost is, might be a worse situation next year than it was this year. And that's the problem that North Carolina has found itself. I mean, if you go back to 2012, Kendall gets hurt, Larry had left. And so who are you left with in the Sweet 16 in the lead eight? Stillman White. White. That's right. Who and played after, <laughs> Oh yeah, he did for sure. No knock on Stillman. <laughs> But Roy was adamant at that point in time that, look, I'm going to make sure that I have enough point guards on roster that we never have this issue again. And yet here we are where Kobe has to be the guy. He has to be as a true freshman. Cole has to be the guy because he's, I mean, he's, he's all this there. And now Caleb has to be the guy. That's not the pattern you want to get into. And so for the sake of the, and for the health of the program, you really need him to stay uh, just to kind of settle things down. And I know a lot of people are frustrated with how the season's gone, and I get it, I understand. But if Caleb, I mean, I, you know, sure, we can have that discussion. I think he's probably gone. But if, if Caleb stays, you've got a very good core coming back, and that team's going to be pretty good. Is it going to be Final Four good? they got to make a lot of strides. But they're going to be a lot better than they are this year. And that gives you time to develop R.J. more as a as a backup point guard and that maybe sets you up better for the future but to your point Gregory you know, if, if Caleb decides to leave I mean this this cycle just continues and it's going to be very tough to get out of the only thing that I think helps is that someone asked Roy about the potential of Garrison coming back because of this year doesn't count for eligibility obviously there's semantics with grad school and things like that but you could see Garrison back next year. Um, Armando's had a good season. He's had a much better season than last year, but he could return. So, I mean, 
if Caleb does up and go, it doesn't bode well for the point guard situation, but the same reasons that we were talking about this season, well, Caleb has these talented group of bigs to work with. They could have three of the four back next year as we sit here assuming that Dayron's going to go. So, Greg, I remember in an earlier podcast. the last two weeks are not good for two of them to come back. last two weeks have been difficult for two of those bigs, and I could see yeah. it being an emphasis or a impetus to move on. Anyway, sorry, Luke. No, no, no worries. Uh, Greg, I remember you mentioned, I don't know if it was a podcast or an article or some commentary about how scouts are kind of pushing these guys to go. It's okay, like, look, no, you can get first-round money. You can go, and I think we talk about if Caleb's a first-round pick. I think it would be a terrible decision to go. You look at UNC point guards, and not even point guards, but just players in general, freshman to sophomore year, and Marcus Page is the one that kind of stands out the most to me. You know, UNC fans, probably one of the most beloved players is Page, but people forget his freshman year. He shot 35%, averaged nine a game. Sophomore year, he shoots 44%. And averages 17 and a half a game. That's an incredible leap. And I think Caleb looks like he's kind of falling on a similar trajectory. So I think it would be an awful decision if someone, you know, some team, some agent tries to get him to go and doesn't give him that sophomore leap that we've seen Armando, besides a few games this year, do pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of conversations he has in the offseason. Um, but I would love to see Caleb come back and just be one of those UNC point guards who makes that leap and falls into Kendall Marshall. Marcus Page, you know, Ty Loss and Joel Berry territory. And the other aspect of that is that the player, I guess he's the only player, if I'm correct, in North Carolina history to have back-to-back 20-point games in the national championship game was Joel Berry. And because of Marcus Page, Joel Berry didn't have to do much at all his freshman year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's really the relevance is that if Caleb does come back, then you can really groom R.J. Davis that if, if you need him to be your starting point guard as a junior, if Caleb leaves after his sophomore year, it's not that big of a deal because he's had plenty of time to grow into that position. Whereas right now, because he's been limited this year with, with everything, if Caleb leaves, well, now R.J. is kind of thrust into the moment, and that's going to be a very difficult transition for him next year. Yeah, I mean, it, well, let's face it. And everybody wants to talk about, um, you know, Cole, Kobe White and Cole Anthony. It's tough to be a freshman point guard for Roy Williams for the Carolina system. It just is. I mean, it absolutely is that um, it's hard. And you see that jump, like y'all mentioned. I think it'd be key. Now, I can't fault any kid or any young man for going to make um, a financial decision. I, I can't, and I'm not going to. Um, so, Anyway, what you got, Gregory? Anything else for us? You want to bring up any other topics we can talk about? Yeah, while we're on the recruiting um, talk a little bit, um, there's a question in here, Greg, about if Roy's recruiting poorly or, I mean, he's been very adamant, always talking about he doesn't care if he's, what he say? He said he doesn't care if a player's five stars or three moons. If, he's, if he impresses Roy, he's going to go after and get him. And that's obviously been the case uh, with the guys recently. I mean, we've seen flashes, but is Roy looking at the wrong things for someone like Caleb where he says he's never really truly been a point guard and he's asking him to be a point guard? Or is he really just missing the mark because kids can be inconsistent with gameplay and AAU ball and, and college ball? What are your thoughts on Roy's ability to recruit recently? So are we talking specifically with regard to Caleb or just in general? I think the question was in general. I just gave Caleb as an example. Yeah, so we've touched on this a little bit before, but I think because of how the NCAA investigation played out, um, that really caught up with North Carolina recruiting-wise. And because I don't want to say North Carolina got lucky with Kenny Williams and and Luke May, because I don't think that's fair, because Roy does a good job developing players. Uh, But because those guys were not elite, prospects coming out of high school and yet they I mean they, they were true North Carolina players who were studs um, that allowed North Carolina to navigate that recruiting issue for longer than we thought and then it finally kept up kept up with them or caught up with them uh, last year and that now all of a sudden because you have Luke and Kenny to go 
And because even though you'd signed two legit top five, you know, five-star guys and Kobe White and Nasir Little, uh, they were one-and-done guys. And so all of a sudden, you're basically saying, look, go Anthony, come and be the team because we're going to have to get grad transfers to kind of fill out the roster. I will never forget, and this is not a knock on Justin Pierce, but the opening press conference last year, Roy was asked what he liked about Justin Pierce, and Roy was basically like, you know what? We needed somebody to come in and play. And Warm I mean, body. Yeah, I mean, seriously. And I think that kind of speaks to it. And so what happens is, is because North Carolina has passed all that mess and Roy can kind of get back to recruiting how he wants to recruit, I mean, this past recruiting class was stellar. I mean, I don't think anybody doubts that. It was top five in the country. But if you look at all the great North Carolina teams and really a lot of good teams around the country, you've got to have these guys gain experience. You know, what does Roy always say? Well, you'd rather have talent than experience. But the best thing you can have is experienced talent. And that, that holds true here. I mean, there's no doubt if this team as it is, if everybody stays for a couple of years, this team would be absolutely elite in two years when Caleb and Dayron and all these guys are juniors. That's just not the world we live in anymore. And so where Roy has, has thrived in the past is getting these guys that turn out to be two and three and four year players who are steady and solid and can really deliver. And then you have a Kobe White come in, elevate that talent base, right? I mean, I think Anthony Harris is that kind of kid. He's a guy, he wasn't a top 50 prospect, but I think we can all agree that once he's healthy, he's going to be a really good player for North Carolina. He's probably going to be a three or four year guy. Uh, and that's kind of what you have to build around. I've, I've said this a bunch, but if you think about Duke's best teams, you go back to the teams when Kyle Singler is a senior. I mean, those teams were really, really good. And yes, they had some young guys who came in and were studs, but those, those teams were good because they had a guy like Quinn Cook who could really lead the team, who knew what it took, could settle down the freshmen. Um, and that's just been lacking. And so, you know, has, has Roy hit on everything he wants recruiting-wise? No, he has not. Um, but some of that's kind of beyond his scope. And does he need to kind of adapt to the current game more? Probably. Uh, but I don't think it's a matter of Roy kind of missing a mark with these guys. It's just that I think the recruiting issues from years past finally caught up last year. And he's just now trying to work through it. And I think to someone's point in the chat about Roy not filling the filling the team in, I think with this class coming in next year with Dontre Styles and um, Dunn is they need wing guys. And he went out and got two potential wing guys. And if Love stays, then they'll have a they'll have Love at point guard. Um, if Leaky comes back, they'll have. I guess Leaky's a junior. He'll be back. Um, leaky on the wing, they've got have styles on the wing and then they'll have big. So I think next year's team, if love stays can be uh, pretty solid. So I just want to make that point about Roy going out and getting wing guys, which is the one position UNC lacks severely this year, having to rely on only Curran Walton to be their most consistent shooter. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have experience out there. I mean, I'd like for somebody to research it. How many national champions had zero seniors? and especially zero juniors. I mean, the ones – and I don't – I'm no brainiac to remember all this stuff, but Michigan's Fab Five. Do we have to go back that far, Greg, to find a freshman-dominated uh, national championship Final Four type team? I'm trying to think back to the to the Kentucky team that was predominant freshman that were so good and, and won it. That, that was, was Calipari's right? one year, I think 12. And then, I mean, you know, Duke was 15, but, again, that was Quinn Cook who was such a stud for that team, even though he wasn't a high-profile guy. Uh, but that, I mean, and, and to be fair, we've hit on this before, but Calipari and then Kay kind of led the charge of this one-and-done era. And those are their two championships combined, which I think speaks to a lot of the issues that we're seeing now. Yep. All right, let's look ahead. Luke Buxton, Carolina has a game scheduled against Northeastern. Nothing affect the ACC race, of course. They got Louisville this weekend. Um Give me your take on what Carolina needs to do to ensure they're in the NCAA tournament. I think they are at the moment. What do they need to do over the next couple of weeks to ensure they get there? Before I get into that, so recording this, Florida State just beat Virginia 81-60. That is not a great indication of how this ACC season's going. Yeah, the ACC is garbage. 
That's um, what I was trying to say on the message boards. AC like Virginia dominates a terrible ACC. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, um, looking ahead of the schedule, <laughs> I mean, you have what Northeastern that just gets added, and then you get Louisville, Boston College, who just fires their head coach, which is another crazy storyline we could get into. Florida State, Syracuse, and Duke. And again, maybe they add some more games. Who knows? I think if they go, I think they need to go three and two for ACC play. Have to be teams like Northeastern, um, but I think three and two does it. You you beat Louisville, Boston College, Syracuse. Maybe there's arguments to be made that you you need to go four and one, but I think three and two does it. Beating Louisville, if you can steal one at Florida State, maybe bump you up an extra seed. But I think three and two, and they're in. Gregory, what you think? I don't know because I, I don't know. I, last time we talked about this, I was like, yeah, they're in. But to your point, Tommy, just recently, I mean, the ACC is really not good. Um, you look at, again, I always go back to Kim Palm. You look at what UNC is supposed to do on these next five games. And that's win out a squeaker against Louisville, be a huge win. Um, it'd be a quad one win, I believe. Um, uh, it's, it's not. What are their quad one wins? Florida State? They don't yeah, have any so, quad one wins. Yeah, they, they only they only have one quad win win right now. But the way it sets up is it's got to be a top thirty. Okay. Uh, at home, and, and Louisville's not top thirty in the net. Got to be Louisville, I think. I think you got to be Louisville. Well, I mean, you have to win out your home games, right? Because they, I mean, if they can stay, I guess there was there would be what ten and zero at home if they can win the rest of their home games. And if you look at that, I mean, that's an impressive feat just to go undefeated at home. But to my point about me not being sure is if they go three and two, which would be solid and would put them at uh, 10 and seven in the ACC. If they turn around and lose round one of the ACC tournament, then you have to think about, okay, well, they were good at home. And as soon as we put them in a tournament situation, the ACC is not good. I think that plays a role. So as far as looking ahead, I think it really, even if they go, if they go four and one, if they go five and oh, they went out good for UNC, they're in. But if they only go three and two, I think they need to do a little work in the ACC tournament. That's just my take because where they stand with their net ranking and their quad wins is not great. Greg, I'll let you wrap the show talking about it. I'm looking at the Virginia box score. Huff, two for six, 0 for three for four total points and two rebounds against Florida State. Uh, Florida State tends to do that, the big men. Greg, could Carolina – feasibly go through the season without a quad one win i know they have one at the moment but could that go away with the rest of the season and carolina goes all year without one yeah for sure because of the looking right now let's see here you've got uh pittsburgh is number 80 so they just fell out and then i think uh, duke is number 66 and so that's one of those things where yeah if north carolina when they play duke again at the end of the season if you beat Duke, Duke's probably going to drop. And so if Duke drops out of the top 75, then you lose that Q1 win. Um, I think we're at the point of the season where we need to start talking about the ACC tournament and that North Carolina uh, is probably not going to have its ticket punched by the end of the regular season. They're going to have to do some work in the ACC tournament. And that's going to be important for them. Uh, to, to Gregory's point, and he didn't flesh this out the way I, I thought he would, but Ken Palm has – North Carolina beating Louisville by one point. Has them beating BC by six, which I think it'll be a bigger margin than that. Losing to Florida State by one, losing that Syracuse by one, and beating Duke by two. You essentially have four toss-up games in your last five games as currently scheduled, not including that Northeastern, which should be a, a pretty easy win. Um, and when you're looking at Q1 opportunities, I mean, it's Florida State who – uh, even before this weekend, I thought Florida State was the, the best team in the ACC. Uh, and then at Syracuse, and North Carolina has done well against Syracuse, uh, but playing up there is going to be a little bit of a challenge. So those, I mean, if you don't win those two games, then I think North Carolina is going to have to do some work in the NCAA tournament. Especially, I mean, Florida State's going to move up, but you know, Virginia's going to fall down a little bit within these net rankings. Um, I don't know what Virginia is listed at right now, but I mean, maybe Florida state ends up being like a three seed, but I mean, the ACC may not have a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, which is crazy to think about. 
Are you say you don't know where Virginia's ranked in the net right now? No, it's, I, I know where they are in the net. I'm just talking about where they will end up being in the net and where they'll end up being seed-wise. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. If the ACC tournament started today, Carolina's a six seed. They would play 11 seed Pitt with Champagny. Champagny. That'd be an interesting matchup in the first round. I, I mean, to our point, the ACC is, is bad. I can't remember a time ever, and I'm not going to date myself too much, but I'm kind of old sometimes. The ACC is as bad as it's ever been by far. Not, I mean, it's not even close um, how bad it is. And, you know, that's why I think Virginia is kind of elevated. But for whatever reason, Virginia has been able to get it done. Except Virginia's, for- Virginia's best win this year, Tommy? Who, Florida State? They beat them the first time? No. Virginia's best win right now is Carolina. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And what did Virginia, so Virginia has lost the best team in the ACC, and I'm about to wrap this and get out of here. But the best win, best team in the ACC, um, or one of the two best teams, lost by 21 tonight, and they got destroyed by Gonzaga earlier in the year. And by Virginia Tech. And by Virginia Tech. I think Florida State was up 45-25 on Virginia at halftime. <laughs> and they brought it, Virginia brought it back to like 63-53, and then they, uh, that's as close as they got. What was the Carolina-Virginia score at halftime? 25-18. to 18. 27-18 maybe? Yeah, so, 18, so, which Bojang was just going to have to turn their deal into if the heels score 50 <laughs> points a, versus Virginia, you get the franchise. You get a half, you get a half biscuit. You, you get like the lid of the biscuit. 45 25 Florida State over Virginia at that halftime. That is UNC had insane. 48 points in the whole game. Incredible. Bad year. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton. This has been Inside Carolina on the beat, sponsored by Johnny T shirt. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it, Tommy. Yep. Thank you to our live folks. Thanks for chiming in on questions. Remember, if we get to 250 views. I I already cut the live stream. I appreciate that. After you said bye. Well, if if anybody's still listening or listening to it later, (laughs) Greg Barnes will have to get a Twitter. (laughs) You said bye. We we peaked around 50, like five today. All right. Let's do it. We need some hot topics. We need some hot topics. Think of topics. We can can do a... I'll, I can, I'll, I'm going to have a bunch of segments I'm going to pitch to you guys, and we can do just a yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Okay, well, we'll do it. And if folks are still listening, uh, chip in. Hit up Luke Buxton for topics. He'll get them to get to us. Thanks, boys. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.